The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my name is Tor Lu and I'd like to welcome you to the forum. You've come to a series titled Seeking Asylum, Finding Refuge in God. And our title today, you'll notice on your outlines, is In Search of a Home, Is Refuge Enough? Inside your outlines is also a slip of paper. Please drop down any questions that you have about the talk or alternatively SMS the number on the screen for the questions to mark and otherwise we can do the meeting later. We'll collect these slips and answer the questions during our question time. And our meeting will finish at 10 to the hour to give you enough time to make our country prosperous. <laughs> well, please turn to your copies of the Old Testament book of Ruth and turn to chapter 3 and follow as I read for you. One day... Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He'll tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You haven't run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I'll do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true that I'm a guardian redeemer of our family, there's another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he isn't willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I'll do it. Lie here until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised. And he said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me a shawl you are wearing, and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, 
he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Welcome, Mark, to Augustus. It's great that you could be here. Uh, let me start off with a story. Ernest Hemingway wrote a short story called The Capital of the World. I don't, has anyone read it? My God, that's not a well-known story, but he wrote a story. And this story starts off by telling about a father and a son, and they're estranged from one another. The son's name is Paco. And in the story, the father searches for Paco, but with no success. Finally, in the city of Madrid, in a last desperate attempt, he places an ad in a paper, in the local paper. And this is what the ad says. Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana, noon Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. The father in Hemingway's story waited. You can imagine what it'd be like between placing the ad and Tuesday at noon. What questions would come to mind? Would his son stumble across the ad? Would his son come to the hotel? Would his son then come home? Tuesday came about, it's noon, and the father arrived at the hotel. And when he did, he could not believe his eyes. Before him was a squadron of police officers. They'd been called to the hotel. Why? Because there were 800 young men waiting outside the hotel. Trying to find them. And the police were trying to grant order. Each of them had come to meet his respected father. Each of them had the name Parker. Each of them were hoping to find forgiveness in front of the Hotel Montana. 800 boys, 800 boys named Parker had read the ad. 800 boys named Parker had come to find forgiveness. 800 boys wanted to come home. Now, it's a made-up story, but it's, I don't know about you, it's a touching story. Uh, I think it strikes a nerve deep inside of us. And I think Hemingway, as a brilliant author he is, he, he, he's tapped into something which we may have never articulated. He actually uncovers a deep desire and maybe a deep flaw. And what is it? Many more people are searching for a home than we realise or than we care to admit. See, our city may be dressed in success, we may be dressed in success. And yet still, there's a deep longing within each of us to find a home, to find a place where we belong, a place where we can let our guard down, a place where we can be ourselves, a place where we can be accepted. See, home is more than bricks and mortar. I think we all realise that. Home is a place where you can be known as much as you know others. Have you ever had that experience? 
after a long holiday. You've got your luggage in hand, you step up to the front door, you open the front door, you, you step in, you drop the bag, and you exhale. I'm home. Well, as we move from Hemingway's fictional story to Ruth chapter 3, the passage that Tor just read out for us, we pick up the story where finding a home is at the forefront of Ruth and Naomi's mind. Let's read the first four verses of this chapter. It's on page four of the booklet, which is actually the whole of Ruth, the story of Ruth for you. Please take it home and, and read over it if you'd like. Page four, verse one. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you, where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, welcome. We're uh, about midway through the story of Ruth, and let me bring you up to speed of the story thus far. In chapter 1, the first page of the booklet, I suggested that all of us here are refugees. We may be in suits, but we're all looking for security, for refuge. And so, in chapter 1, we met three refugees, Elimelech, Naomi, and Ruth. And each of them uh, sought refuge in three different places, but two of them failed. When it comes to searching for refuge, there are false refuges out there. There are places that only provide temporary safety before, whether you like it or not, you're asked to move on. Elimelech sought security in the economy, in wealth, but that crumbled underneath his feet. And he was forced to move on. Naomi sought security in family. But even that gave way. She moved on to bitterness and only saw God was against her. They were the two failures. And yet Ruth, unexpectedly, she took a risk. Unlike Elimelech and Naomi, she didn't grow up knowing the God of these pages. She grew up in a different country called Moab, a different religion. But she took a risk And what she knew about this God, she decided to seek refuge in him. And at the end of chapter 1, the question we have is, would this refuge, this God, would it be safe for her? Or would she be asked to move on as well? And so in chapter 2, we see how the decision unfolds for Ruth. Was her decision a wise one? Or was it a last-minute, desperate act? And two characteristics suggested it was neither foolish nor fleeting. Unlike the other refuges, this God was superglued to his word. He kept his promises. Ruth could build a life on what this God said. Further, even though Ruth didn't know it or see it, God was still working. In hindsight she saw it, but at the time she didn't know the chance meeting with Boaz, the person we met in chapter 3 and find out more about, that the chance meeting was with Boaz or the fact that she happened to stumble into his field. It seemed all coincidence to her, but actually God was at work. Silently, 
in the background. God's silence wasn't to be mistaken for inactivity. Ruth could look into every situation with hope because God was working. And so we turn to chapter 3. And what do we see? Ruth has food. She has a temporary working visa. She's been working along with the other uh, workers uh, in Boaz's field. But it is only temporary. And she still is a refugee, an outsider. So here's the question of chapter 3. Does seeking refuge in this God, does it just stop there? Is there a limit? I mean, Ruth... She was uh, a nobody, she was a foreigner, she now has gained some employment. And from where she first started, that's actually quite a success story, isn't it? And yet, as Ruth decided to seek refuge in this God, would he deliver even more? Or would it just stop there? Naomi seems to think so. How do we know that? Because as you look at, again, those first verse in chapter 3, Naomi goes on a search for a home. Verse 1, one day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Quite literally, the word home here is a resting place for Ruth, a place to rest her head and a place to rest her future. In fact, as we read verses 1 to 4 and we've read it, I think we have to pause and ask, What has happened to Naomi? Do you remember at the end of chapter 1, we left Naomi as a bitter mother. She even changed her name to Mara, which means bitterness. That's how deep her grief was. Her grief identified her. And yet now, it's hard not to hear the hope in her conversation with Ruth, isn't it? She's hopeful. She, 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 she can see promise. She can see a future. What caused that change? Well, along with Ruth and Boaz, Naomi has come to see that God was still at work even when she didn't realise it. The turning point was back uh, in chapter 2 and rather than flicking on the page, I'm going to show the verse up here on the screen. What do we read? Then Ruth told her mother-in-law, this is verse 20 of chapter 2, about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Naomi realised that God had not abandoned her. She realised that God had not stopped showing his kindness. She may have given up on God, but God had not given up on her. He was still being kind to her as a living one and even to those who were dead, her husband and her two sons. Is it possible that even through extreme grief, one can see God at work? That out of bitterness, in time, hope and thankfulness can arise. Because this God never stops working, the answer is yes. Indeed, Naomi is a reminder that 
no matter how far away you and I go. Remember, Naomi was so bitter that she was against God and thought God was against her. No matter how far you and I go, no one is beyond the boundaries of God's refuge. He still can be a refuge to you and me wherever we are. Well, Naomi starts to join the dots and in hope she sends Ruth with a mission. Again, it's risky. The events, as Paul was reading for us, the events of this whole chapter are shrouded in secrecy from beginning to end. What does Naomi say in verse 3? Don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating or drinking. There's a disguise, there's a hiddenness about what's happening. That's at the beginning. And at the end, in verse 14, what do we read? So Ruth lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised. And he, Boaz, said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. The events here could be misconstrued. A man and a woman at night together. Indeed, some modern writers think that Boaz and Ruth had sex, lying down, uncovering feet, spreading the garment, or or euphemism. Uh, I'm not persuaded by that personally, but as the story is told, it definitely adds the innuendo, adds some spice to the story. It builds suspense. You feel on the edge because the story might collapse at any moment. I mean, will Ruth get discovered? And if she does, what's she going to do? Will she be too nervous and not approach Boaz? When Boaz is caught off guard in the middle of the night, will he become angry? Will Boaz's public face, he was so kind to Ruth, in in a heartwarming way in chapter 2, will his public life match his private one? This is a private moment. Has Ruth gone too far? All these questions kind of are in the air, but while it's quite dramatic, at the end of the chapter, there's no doubt as to what will happen to Ruth, is there? Ruth will find a home. And the key character to secure this for Ruth is the guardian redeemer. Let's read verses 12 and 13 on page 4. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. The guardian redeemer would step in and purchase Ruth. The idea of redeeming here is the idea of buying back. Now, we might feel quite uncomfortable with this notion of purchasing it. It's very commercial. And we might feel uncomfortable because it doesn't indicate somehow that Ruth is an object to be traded. No, if that's what, how you first heard that idea, I think you've missed the point. Because the act of redeeming is to show to Ruth that she is precious, that she is treasured, that she's no longer a foreigner, an outcast, an outsider, but she's brought close, someone who is dearly loved, accepted, and part of a family. The act of redeeming is not commercial. It's actually an intimate act. It's a personal act. 
It's an act of finding root to home. Now, if I skip forward now, about 1,000 years later, a writer, a Christian writer, picks up the idea of the guardian redeemer and he applies it, not to Boaz, but he applies it to another person. It's as if the events between Ruth and Boaz, they're kind of like a teaser, kind of like a, a little movie preview, a movie trailer, which anticipates a much longer, more full, high definition, a greater movie. And so what's this greater movie that these little events, this guardian redeemer, what does it point us towards? Well, this writer, his name is Paul, he's one of the early Christian leaders, and this is what he wrote here. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The ultimate guardian redeemer, the one who redeems, the one who buys people back, assuring us that we are precious is Jesus Christ. The God of Ruth, the God in these pages, doesn't stop just by providing refuge. But isn't this a great word? He lavishes, he throws abundantly his riches, his kindness, by going the step further and by providing a home. I started off today with the short story about Parker. Do you remember? He was uh, the story about Parker and his father. They're estranged, and the father puts an advertisement in the paper. Ruth chapter three is a similar advertisement, I think. In this chapter, God is offering refuge, but more importantly, more than refuge, He's offering a home. In this chapter we've seen you aren't too far from his refuge. The boundaries extended even to Naomi. And yet when you come to this God, he offers more than refuge. He offers redemption. He offers forgiveness. And he never stops being kind. The advertisement could sound something like this. Come back. Meet me at Jesus. All is forgiven. Please come. I wonder how many will turn up there. Well, please be uh, writing your questions on the slips of paper in your outline, or please SMS your questions to Mark on 0409 396 492. Uh, and pick up your hand for, let's say, Paul from the RBA to collect these uh, slips while I make three quick announcements. Number one is Christianity, a short course for the curious, begins tonight. There's a great course, a great facilitator, Al Stewart, and a great location at the HSBC building on George Street near Town Hall. Uh, looking at original documents, as you can see on the outline, what Jesus taught, looking at Luke's Gospel, and there's a complimentary meal. So tonight, 6 to 8 o'clock. Number two is an event for young workers happening in three Mondays' time, the Wolf of George Street. How do you define success? How hungry are you for it? Uh, mingle with other young workers over canapes and drinks. See how successful you are at trivia 
And here Aaron Stewart tackles success from the Bible. We've got a lovely level at the St James Hotel on Castle Ray Street near David James. Tickets are $22 and flyers are on the information table at the front of our room on your way out. Number three is the City Bible Forum Martin Place store. This store is famous. In fact, there are people amongst our audience who are here because of this store. Uh, coffees in the morning, uh, the beautiful smell of sausages being barbecued uh, down Martin Place with tomato sauce and bread. And since we're promoting our next forum, uh, Is the World Melting? Peter Cowdor, who works with us, is wondering whether we might offer ice blocks. <laughs> Come bring your team and see if it all works out. What's a big mess? Well, uh, do we have any questions from the floor? Thanks. A couple of questions have come by SMS. Maybe I'll start with those. But please feel free to ask questions from the floor and we can interact in that way as well. First question is, how do you present the proof that God is working to a friend that sees no hope or change for the better? That's a great question. Um, how do you present the proof that God is working? Well, firstly, um, can I just give a kind of a bit of, uh, I don't know, maybe in my experience, it, um, I don't think when a friend can see no hope or no change for the better, they're after proof. I think they're just after a friend. And so I wouldn't uh, want to necessarily give them proof at that time. I probably just want to let them know I'm here to help them and support them and love them and, and do whatever it takes to be alongside them. Um, uh, that doesn't mean there isn't proof, but I think that would be the, the, the first thing I, w- I would say. It, uh, even though we're at chapter 3 where we can start to see resolution in Ruth's story, you need to realise that there was a 10-year famine in chapter 1 where it didn't look like there was any hope uh, in, the, in, the, in the future. When Ruth decides to go into Israel as a Moabite, and she's kind of constantly referred to as Ruth the Moabite, it's kind of to make sure we all know she's the outsider. Like, there, there is no hope, there is no employment. She, she, she's left her effectively big. Uh, so, um, before we jump towards the hope, I think it's right to see the anguish and the despair, even in Naomi's mm-hmm. life, and I think that's right and proper. I think that the, the greatest proof. Uh, if I now step away from that and just go objectively, the greatest proof that mm-hmm. God is working, uh, I think, is um, even when it seems that everything has gone wrong, that he can accomplish good out of it, I think is actually in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's the clearest proof that God is for people. Uh, he sends Jesus to die in their place. Um, that it, it's shrouded in some sense with um, uncertainty. It doesn't look like there's hope. Who, who would have thought that a guy, you know, you kill the leader of your movement and expect him to rise again? Now, death is the last thing, isn't it? So it seems to be no hope at that point. Um, and yet, through this horrific, tragic, uh, and eventful of injustice, God actually worked out his purposes to, to bring about salvation. Uh, and I think that, for me, is the clearest, uh, clearest proof for me. And in my life, um, I've gone through lots of difficult mm-hmm. situations um, with my wife and having a child and things like that. And that's the thing that we've always had to go back to. How do I know God actually loves me, is working for my good? Because everything I feel and experience is, is telling me otherwise. Well, actually, 
I go to, what did God do for me in Jesus? And, and that's my starting point. And then I build from there. I hope, I, I hope that's helpful. Uh, is Ruth a love story? Does that mean that if you follow Jesus, we'll have romance? (laughs) Ruth is is a love story. Um, In fact, um, part of the um, one way that we were thinking of um, angle, I guess, of of working through Ruth was, you know, God the romantic. God God actually cares about those inner desires in our hearts as well. He's not ambivalent to them, ambivalent to them at all. so I think, yes, it is a love story and, and I think, to be honest, as I've spoken to people at Wednesday and Thursday lunchtime, that's often the feeling that people get. They remember it as a love story. So it, it does function on that level. But as with every story that you read, uh, it has multiple layers of meaning. On one level, it's a love story uh, bound in a particular cultural reference, I think, you know, the whole idea of um, threshing floors and things like that. Uh, but it also is, is a journey about seeing what God does, if you're going to stick to his promises, and I think, you know, I've gone for the, it's actually a search for refuge, security. Um, does that mean that if you follow Jesus, we'll have romance? Um, let me answer this in a bit of a cheeky way. Uh, yes, you will, because you actually fall in love, be drawn to the one in whom you seek refuge in, and if that's Jesus. And yeah, not in an awkward way, but in a way that Jesus provides and gives you words of comfort and, and rebukes you, corrects you as well and, and points, points out weaknesses. But it's a great relationship to be a part of. Uh, and in that sense, uh, yes, you will be uh, drawn to another person. Uh, and, that, and personally speaking, I think it's fantastic. Um, let's keep on... Uh, Looking at other questions. Any questions from the floor while I kind of flick through the next couple? Yes? Ruth um, seems like a nice enough sort of person and um, you know, the way the sort of presents it. She's not unattractive even though she's an alien or something like that. Mm. On one level, you can see why Boaz might well be attracted to her and seems to be an old guy. But yeah. then applying that you know, to, you know, to the way that Jesus is. Um, is God really going to redeem people who have been really, really bad? Yeah. So that someone, you know, say, you know, ISIS fighters or someone like that, you know, the, the guy you saw in you know, yeah. the video, and he, and he turns and he turns to God. If that would happen, would God really take that guy there? Yeah, yeah. Um, in, I guess, a quick response. I think it's hard for us to understand the cultural hurdle or the stigma that was around roosting a mobile, I think, I think it's kind of hard to, to um, feel that just in the pages. The analogy I used in the first talk was it's kind of like someone from South Korea jumping over the border going to North Korea. There's a hostility between Moab and Israel, so, so it's kind of, you know, you just be treated and seen differently straight away, no matter what happens. So I think that's, uh, that's one thing to kind of maybe suggest even though she might have been attractive, there was actually a lot to, for Boaz to push back or push away from her. Um, but kind of the deeper question, you know, would God accept, um, you know, whether it's a person from ISIS or the murderer, the, you know, the thief, the, the, you know, serial rape, what, you know, what, yeah. I think, actually no, I think the answer 
poor Naomi to be so far away from God and yet still somehow find refuge in God and still be accepted and, and still have a little next to it. Still be considered part of God's people and abide as part of God's people. I think that's done through the air. And that, that has to be something which is a powerful message about this God, this Christian God. It's not that he sweeps the injustices under the carpet. For that, you need to understand this idea of redemption, which is uh, God redeemed people by paying a price. And he does have to pay something. Uh, and that's in Jesus, is his love, it's his death. He dies in our behalf. The, the wrong thing committed a place on the Jesus. And we get the freedom of God. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, and uh, Acts 2 1. And it came um, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeah, I think that's an open offer. Anyone. And that is, you know, anyone, male or female, whatever, however you want to divide the world up, male, female, rich or poor, young or old, you know, my three-year-old or my, my eight-year-old grandmother, so all an open invitation. The refuge is, there are no boundaries in one sense, so, and I think that's fantastic. So thanks for the question. Maybe we have time for one more? Yeah, thanks, Paul. Yeah, why does Naomi suggest such a seemingly inappropriate way for Ruth to approach Boaz? What part does God play in all this? Yeah, I think that's one of the, the questions to wrestle with. It does seem weird, um, you know, the way that she goes about it. Um, you know, whether it's uh, her taking initiative and kind of prompting Boaz, you know, kind of expediting uh, the process is one possible thought. Um, I guess my answers are, are purely speculative here. Um, it seems to be something culturally known. Uh, it's interesting here that Boaz, when he does, when he, he's startled by the fact that uh, uh, Ruth is there, but at the same time he commends her, he, he still sees her as a, a, a lady of noble character. So it's not as if that you know Boaz is um, it, he doesn't take it as inappropriate. I, I don't think maybe it could be misconstrued in that way, but he doesn't. So I think there are some things to suggest. Uh, clues to suggest that this is actually, while it may seem very odd to our, our ears, this seems to be maybe not the most direct way, but a legitimate way of, of, of finding a kinsman redeemer, a guardian redeemer, uh, I think, um, is, is how I pray. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. If you're able to stick around, please uh, hang around for a couple of minutes. I'd love to say good day to you. Uh, if you need to shoot off, please, please feel free to do that. Well, next week, we reach the climax of our series on the book of Ruth, Living Beyond Refuge. What is the bigger picture? Look forward to seeing you next week. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.